This morning we are in Revelation 15, just for a little bit actually this morning, because I was looking at Revelation 15 and I noticed Revelation 15 is a transition. It's a transition from bad to worse for those that don't love the Lord. Um, It's going from one set of judgments to a deeper set of judgments, and it's God's final judgments when he pours his wrath out. Um, Some would say maybe this is where um, the rapture would occur at this point. I think it's probably already happened. As I've got into my studies, I'm fairly confident, I'm like 90% sure, I would say the rapture happens at three and a half years into the tribulation. As I've studied that, uh, Craig's explained it to me a couple of times. I've looked at it, and it clicked this week, and I was like, yes, that makes a lot of sense. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm sitting on that um, because you see a, a 42-month period where we join in some of the suffering, and I think it's to draw his heart back. And you can see this correlation if you go back to the 10 plagues in, on the, the Egyptians the first few happened to the Israelites as well to draw them out, to make sure that they were separate. And then he made a distinction that these are my people. This isn't going to happen to them. And I think that's a little bit of a foreshadowing for what's going to happen in the end days as well. And God, if anything new is going to come, it's going to come from the Lord. So he could do it differently because we are creatures of habit and we will repeat ourselves, right? We will do something similar, uh, but God won't. God is, God is creative. God is the creator, so he could change things up just whatever he wants. Um, and it is in the future, right? I kind of feel like I'm a, an apostle with Christ, walking with Christ, and I look to the, this is what Jesus is saying, so this is what's going to happen, and I totally have it all wrong. <laughs> Because if you look at the disciples, they thought he was going to usher in an earthly kingdom. And he was with him all the time. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And they, it's like closing their ears, running around, la, 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 I can't hear you. When are you going to establish your earthly kingdom? Right? And so we cannot be like that. We need to um, look at God's word in its complete entirety and know what he has. This is one of those sermons that I, I felt like I could flip to the passage, and just preach right from 15, Matthew 24 and 25, but I chose not to because we didn't want an hour-long sermon. So, because I know if I went to 24, I would, I would drag way too long, so I only picked sections of 24, and um, we're going to go from there. So our point today is to be effectively To effectively be prepared for the day of the Lord, we must remain in a state of readiness for his return so we do not have to face God's wrath. Let's look at Revelation 15. It's eight verses long. We're going to read all eight verses this morning, uh, right? The whole kit and caboodle. It's not one you've heard very often from the pulpit, right? Kit and caboodle. That's right. Then I saw in heaven another, another marvelous event of great significance. Okay? This is like reader pay attention stuff. Great significance. This is some of these things, and then this transition, and this transition, and this transition. But this one had great significance. Seven angels were holding seven last plagues, which 
would bring God's wrath in completion. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them, and they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb. So it's important to note that God's people are in heaven. God's people are seeing this event, and uh, they are victorious over this. But I also want to mention that he said that he's extending that grace. So if anybody were to accept him in the next 42 months, I think God would accept them into his kingdom. And there may be a few, but at this point, you'll see the people's hearts after this. They just curse God to his face, and they don't want anything to do with him. And it's crazy. It just blows my mind. You see this all-powerful being, and you still want to choose your own way. So these people that are victorious, they sing this, which was our call to worship this morning. It says, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. That's section one. Now it starts the next section of the seven bowls with the seven plagues. And then I looked and I saw that the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle, was thrown wide open. Excuse me. The seven angels were holding seven plagues coming out of the temple, and they were clothed in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chest. Then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God whose lives forever, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completely, completed pouring out the seven plagues. So God is still watching over his people, even in heaven. Isn't that amazing? So I see chapter 15 as a transition uh, chapter. Next week, we will be talking about those seven bowls. We will go in and describe each one of those. It'll be more of a, a study than it will be uh, anything, because we'll see God's going out, and it, there's a good chance that those bowls will will correlate with the seven, or the ten plagues that we saw in Israel. Okay, So we have three types of judgment in Revelation. We have the seven seals coming off the scroll, and each one of those had a judgment. You have the seven trumpets, and each one of those had a judgment. And then you have the seven bowls of God's wrath. Okay, And I think... As you look at, as the seals are coming off, you could even make a good case that the seven trumpets and the seven bowls happen in the seventh seal, okay? And so I would say um, that your 42 months is in some of those first seals. It's definitely not in the last bowls. The second 42 months is the last bowls, for sure, without question about it. We are not going to be here. We are not going to be, as believers, we will not be on the earth, so... This left me with a question. If I'm a Christian, then why am I afraid of God's wrath? If I'm a Christian, why am I afraid of God's wrath? And, or to put it in another way, and this is a little bit more frank maybe, 
if I'm a Christian, why do I care about God's wrath? Because if I'm going to do something, I want to know why, right? If we're going to take communion, I want to know why we're taking communion on Sunday. If we're giving an offering, I want to know why we take offering on Sunday morning. Is it just habit? No, it's an act of surrender. Both of those are an act of surrender. There's about two things that the Lord told us to do, and um, communion's one of them, in, and in service. And offering kind of comes more from Paul, and but um, Jesus says to give to the temple too, and he says to give to the um, to Caesar as well. Jesus told you to pay your taxes. Man, that one's hard to get around. You can't you can't get around that one, can you? As a believer, we're supposed to pay our taxes. Oh boy, I'll just leave that one out there. So I'm going. I came up with two reasons of why we need to pay attention to God's wrath. The first reason is God wants us to bring our friends and family to the Lord. And I think this is the first slide. Yep, Jordan's got it up there. I had a girl. Um, we are Christ's ambassadors. Okay? We have, what's an ambassador do? They go out into another country and they represent the person or, the, in a sense, the president of our United States. Our ambassadors go out and they have the same power and authority as the president. And we've seen some controversy over the last eight to ten years of people doing things to our ambassadors or our embassies. And that, why are they doing it? Because it, it's picking on our president, in a sense, right? If you go into Washington, D.C., and you were to watch, walk into the French embassy, you are no longer on U.S. soil. You are on French soil. And that's likewise, if we were to go to France and walk into the U.S. embassy, we're on U.S. soil, right? That's how they work that way. So there's, we are ambassadors, and according to 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are, are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Because when we're reconciled to God, we leave a testimony, right? So we have an opportunity to speak into our friend's and family, this is why we are. And when they point out, oh, you're a little Christian, you did that, and you're like, yes, and I'm very capable of a lot more, but the grace of God has saved me. And he forgives me of those little things, right? And the big ones, too. So I am not the hero. We should not necessarily feel ashamed when somebody points out sin in our lives. We should be pointing out Oh, I'm so much more capable than that. That's child's place for what I was thinking about telling you. <laughs> right? Whew, I, had a, I had a taxing time yesterday on that one. Lord's grace was there um, heavy on me yesterday, so praise God for that. Um, the next one, live a life of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. Who was Timothy? Timothy was one of... of Paul's students, right? He called him his spiritual son. When 
Paul wrote 2 Timothy, Paul was assuming he was going to die. Okay? He wrote this saying, this is probably it. Okay? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be a worker who does not need to be need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So we need to live a life of truth. How can Paul write that unless he set that example for Timothy? Right? I think Paul did a good job of setting a life of truth, living a life of truth. He had a good picture of what he was going after. He was going after heaven. He was going after life with Jesus Christ eternally. Right? And so he kept that in the forefront and was there all the time. The next one, from God's grace to God's glory. We quote Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 a lot. But once we understand that salvation comes through grace, through faith, and not by works, then why are we supposed to do works? Right? Because we've got to tell our friends and our family about God's grace. And that's what verse 10 is. We are God's handiwork. We are God's display. We're his billboard in a sense. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Once we cross over in a sense to be a follower of Jesus Christ, he has a plan set out for us. And when he sets that plan out before us, we do it because of his grace. Okay? We don't do good works to earn grace. Okay? I'm a good person. Now I get to go to heaven. No, that doesn't get you anywhere. I'm a bad person. Christ forgives me. And because of that, I get to go to heaven. Now I want to do good works to, to give God worship, okay? We were talking about this, and we're studying Revelation and community Bible study, and the guys are like, are we going to just sit around the throne and worship all the time? What's that look like? And are, is, is it just going to be this one thing that we say over and over? Well, now that we've gotten deeper into Revelation, we know we get to say other things. But life is worship, you can worship God through the little things, right? Colossians 3.23, I've been hitting on that one quite a bit, right? Whatever you do, work at it, not for yourself, but as unto the Lord. You want to do, if you're going to walk to work today, don't walk to work for yourself, walk to work for the Lord. Maybe even show up early. Huh, that one's hard for me to do. When I was working out in the world. It's easier now for me because now I just walk across the street and uh, um, once I drop kids off of school, I'm always, I'm always here early because um, when school's in session, it's, it's simple. But when I would work at different locations, I was much like um, others I've heard, my time is my time, your time is your time. But that's not necessarily being a, a good steward. And sometimes I would always show up and I'd take a little bit of their time to get, well, I, I was in the door, but I wasn't at my desk. I wasn't ready. And so being a good steward is uh, making sure you're there early, getting your stuff. So 
And then God commanded us to go. We've talked about the Great Commission in, in, in Matthew 24 several times. This one's from Mark 16, 15. It's the Great Commission. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Right? We are to go. He commands us to go, so we need to answer that call. To effectively be prepared for the day of the Lord, we must remain in a state of readiness for his return so we do not have to face God's wrath. Reason number two, Christ wants us to stay in the state of readiness for when he returns. It keeps us from falling away. When we're in a state of readiness, we are ready to, ideally we'd be ready to meet our maker when he comes back, Right? You better be prepared to meet your maker. Well, that's, this is what it's about. This is, this is why they say that. Um, we need to watch out for deceivers. Paul talks about this. Jesus talks about this. And Revelation talks about watch out for false prophets. Watch out for false teachers. How can you know a false teacher from a good teacher? Does it line up with your Bible? Do they preach? Here's a good one today. Do they preach God's wrath? Do they preach God's judgment? That is not a very popular to- topic in the American church today. And that's not a good thing because God is going to... Here, here's, the, here's the reason why it's bad. Somebody gets to the end of life and... As a preacher, I'm up here wondering, did they commit their lives to Christ? Their family's over there going, well, we know he's in a better place. Well, how do you know? How do you know? Now's not the time to ask them that, <laughs> right? You don't know unless they made a decision to surrender to the Lord and follow his ways and not their ways right? You can't know. You can't just be like, well, of course I know he's going to heaven. Every, everybody goes to heaven. We're like dogs. We all go to heaven. That is, no, that doesn't work that way. Only the surrendered. When we say that, what do I mean by surrendered? When I say Jesus is my king and I follow him as my king and Lord, then, and I walk in his ways, I study his word, then I know I'm going to heaven right? We talked about that before. We're saved by grace. So now we are going to heaven. What am I going to do about it? I'm going to praise God through my actions, through my works, and I'm going to show the world that I'm surrendered to a holy God. Sometimes he gives us more opportunities to do that than than others. The New Testament is always warning us to watch out for those who claim to be Christ but are not. Matthew chapter 24 sums it up pretty good. If you look at Matthew 24, it's the best culmination of finding out what's going to happen in the end times. You want to know what's going to happen in the end times, who should we find it out by? Probably maybe God. Well, Matthew 24 is one of the best passages. There's a John 16, uh, 1 through 4, um, is John's summary of what's going to happen right before the end times. Um, I can't remember 
Mark and Luke's right offhand, but they also have a summary. But Matthew 24 goes into the most detail. That's why we, we talk about it. And if you look at 26 through 28, it kind of sums up this false teacher thing like this. It says, um, verse 26, So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go out and look. Or look, he is hiding here. Don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and the shines in the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as gathering a vulture shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate the end is near. So what are we seeing sometimes that, that looks like the Messiah? We see, you got, you got one, CJ? They could be. Yeah, it could be some miraculous sign and wonders. Look, I can control this. I must be the Messiah, right? Um, the, another one would be false teaching or false miracles where they, they um, heal somebody on the stage. They may fall down and, and look at how amazing. Am I saying that healing doesn't happen today? No, that's not what I'm saying. I think I really do think God heals people. I think God heals the deaf and the blind and stuff even today. But who gets the glory for that? Is the preacher on the stage? No. If it's the preacher on stage, that's a false teacher. It's Jesus Christ, God the Father. They get the glory, right? Even Jesus, when he was healing, would say, don't tell anybody about this. Because he didn't want the glory. He wanted the glory to go to God. Right? He wanted them to go to the temple, present themselves as clean in the case of lepers, and say, go through the process. And when they ask, say, it was this guy out in the desert. I think he might be the Messiah. Because he wanted it to trickle, he wanted them to know that this was happening. And that didn't always happen the way that Jesus wanted to. And so he was forced out into the desert. Did that stop the people from coming? No. When when God's working in your life, he's going to show up in a mighty way, and it won't stop. So there's plenty of false messiahs popping up in Jesus' day, plenty of them. They would say, look at me, and they would, they would hold a revolt. And they, they, they even asked, is this the guy that, that, that held the revolt over here? No, that's not him. That's, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the, the one that was telling us to be nice, <laughs> Right? That's what happened. That's a Shane House paraphrase of what happened when Jesus was um, uh, beaten and things, right? How his return will be sudden and unexpected. Verse 37 through 41. He talks about the days of Noah. I'm going to read it. In Matthew 24, 37 through 41, it says, When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People did not realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two men, women will be grinding flour in the mill. One will be taken, the other left. 
Be ready to go when he comes. Be ready to go when he comes. When he comes, we need to be walking in obedience to effectively be prepared for the day of the Lord, we must remain in a state of readiness for his return so we don't have to face God's wrath. How do I know? How do I, how do I know to be ready? What, what can I do? What am I supposed to, how am I supposed to respond to Matthew chapter 24? Well, praise God, he gave us the end of 24. He gives us a few examples in there. And then Matthew 25, he gives us three great examples. We're going to talk about one of those today. So how does this pertain to Revelation 15? It's because we need to be ready and we need to get our friends ready for the wrath of God. Because if we understand God's grace and God's love, his mercy... We will never face God's wrath. It's terrible, anger-filled wrath. So let's look at the parable that does a great job of describing this time, this winnowing time where we have um, some taken and some that are left over. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 17. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridegrooms who take their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the five who were wise had enough to, uh, wise take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the five were wise enough to take along extra oil. I don't know if that's right, but... That's what I have written here. When the, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by a shock. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and they prepared their lamps. When the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because the lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us, go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they, are, they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to, be, to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you... Two must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return, Jesus says. Okay, so what do we have here? Some of the key elements of this parable. We have ten virgins who are, they go out with their lamps to wait the arrival of the bridegroom. We have five foolish who don't take enough oil. They don't take enough extra or they don't take any extra oil at all. And they have five wise who take extra oil just in case the bridegroom is delayed. What do we, what do we have now? Has Jesus come back right away? No, no he's, he's been delayed, hasn't he? And I think he's delayed there, one, for the 
time for the Gentiles to get enough in number, two, for the church to do her work. Christ said for you to declare um, my name. And I think as long as the church is doing that, Christ is delaying. And as the church is having a harder time following him, the Lord um, is going to hasten his return. Now, I, I would say the American churches have a hard time declaring uh, Christ as Lord, but I think the, Amer- the world church is going like gangbusters. They have uh, some of the most persecuted places in the world. Christianity is growing like gangbusters. Um, Iran, uh, the church is going crazy there. Uh, North Korea, uh, they have indications that the church is so big there uh, that they're having a hard time controlling. They're starting to have to open up the free market there a little bit. Um, The free black market there, I was listening to something about that this week. And that's encouraging because the people are in their own way um, discovering that Christ is king in these areas. So we have the bridegroom is delayed in his coming. The groom arrival is announced and the virgins trim their lamps and the foolish virgins find that their lamp is running out. They've waited all night. They don't have enough oil in their lamp. They can't uh, fill it up because they didn't bring enough. And they plead with the wise virgins virgins to share their oil. But the wise virgins refuse, saying there's not enough. Now, is this a refusal in the sense that, no, I don't want to, I'm not going to associate with you. No. They have one opportunity to be with this groom. If their oil is lit and they're prepared, then he will accept them as a possible mate with him. If they don't, um, then we won't, they don't have an opportunity. So they can't, they can't say, oh yeah, I'll share with you because they don't know. What if he's delayed again and they don't have enough? They don't know what the groom's going to do. And so as they're waiting and they're like, oh, share with me. We, we can't predict what the groom is going to do. So you need to go be responsible for your own things. And that's what salvation. We can't share our salvation. That'll be one of our points down here later. So I'll keep going. The foolish virgins then arrive, but they are not allowed in. So we need to be ready. We need to be in a state of readiness. Christians are like the virgins waiting on the bridegroom. Some are wise. They're diligent, preparing themselves for the master's coming. They heed the call to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Knowing what is to come, they look for it and live accordingly. They look they have a biblical worldview, is how I would describe that. So they take the Bible, they read it, and they look at the world through the lens of the Bible. For them, the coming of the Lord will be a blessing. They will sing the song of Moses that we saw in Revelation chapter 15. But some are foolish. They know the Lord is coming, but they are not prepared. They are in the same boat as the other virgins. So they, st- they go to church, they do the things, they walk through the motions, but when they get down to it, 
they lack in the depth of their faith, which I would say would be the oil. So they go through the motions, but they don't change their hearts. The result will be facing God's wrath. One should not count on their own merit to get to heaven. Note that the foolish virgins, they did have some oil. So they had so they had made some preparation. They had maybe had good character. They showed up at church. They did things, but they didn't surrender to um, their maker, to their Messiah, to their Savior. For selfish reasons, it's kind of like inviting Jesus over to your house and saying, Lord, it's great that you can be here. It's great to be in your presence. I love you. This is so much fun, but it's my bedtime. I'm going to ask you to leave, right? So I'll invite you in as a guest, but you're not a permanent resident. Well, I hate to break it to you. God's not only asking for the permanent residency, but he's asking for the deed to to your heart, isn't he? And that's a little bit different than being a guest in your house. Are we foolishly depending on being good enough to get to heaven? If I'm just a good person, I haven't killed anybody. Well, good for you. You're you're one step on the way of 10 to getting there. Uh, If you can do all 10 perfectly, you can get into heaven. But you can't. You can't. That's why God gave us the Ten Commandments so we could see even those simple things. We're going to break them. We need a Savior. Who's going to save us? And God provided that answer through His Son. This is the church of Jesus Christ. I have not the ability to save any one of you. Only Jesus saves He's the ultimate coupon clipper, right? When the Lord comes again, the time for salvation is gone. When he brings up all his things at the end of the age, it's done. There's no more. He will reveal himself overwhelmingly. You can see this in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, that we talked about last week. And it says, I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and language, and people. Right? Nobody hasn't will have an excuse at that point. Everybody will hear the good news. Everybody will know it. Everybody will understand it. Because if the church has stopped doing her job, God will send an angel to make sure that everybody that's alive will know and understand that there's a God in heaven who wants to have a relationship with you. Surrender to him and he will save you from his wrath. So we need to maintain our sense of readiness to be ready. We need to guard our hearts from the pleasures of this world. We need to guard our hearts from the worries of this world. So there's one thing that, oh, I want this. I need this. I need this. I'm jealous. I need to have this. I'm envious. I have to have this. Or there's, 
oh, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to be good enough. I, I'm not sure if I can get this. Well, the problem with the both of those is they focus on us, don't they? And we need to give our worries to the Lord. We need to give our pleasures to the Lord. God, I desire to have this thing, but right now I'm making it an idol in my heart because I desire it more than you. And I need to rest in you and not in the desire of this thing. It's consuming my thoughts. I give it up to you because I want to have a better relationship with you. To be ready, we, need to, we can be prepared through prayer. Luke 21, 36, it says, Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. So there's a Luke passage. It's in chapter 21, right, of the Matthew 24 end time things. Keep alert and at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors. Does it say pray that you will not be here? Does it say pray that you um, will do this? No, it says pray that you'll be strong enough to escape. And what do we need to have strong enough? We want to remain faithful. And then it also in 1 John 1, 9, that we confess our sins to him. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Our faith, our faithfulness starts with God's faith. He is always faithful. He's always true. He's always there. And so when we have that, we also know that our faith builds off of his faith. He's faithful, so I can be faithful. He loves so I can love. See how that works? We're kind of a mirror. God's the sun, we're the mirror, or we're the moon. We reflect his um, brilliance, his glory uh, to those around us. So I ask you today, how is your readiness? How is your readiness? In the end, there'll be two groups, won't there? There'll be one on the inside with Jesus and celebrating the wedding. And they are faithful. They're, they were watching. They were prepared. They're ready to, for the long haul. They had extra oil. And they'll stand in front of the Lord. They'll recognize his sacrifice for us and submit to his love. Then there'll be a second group that they recognize that they're a sinner. They'll recognize that they haven't quite done enough, that they're, they're missing something. And they'll run to town to try to figure out what that is, and they'll get more oil, and they'll come back. And they'll try to put their faith into practice. And they'll get to the door, and it's going to be closed. I really think this passage is written to the church more than it is to the world, even though it has application for both. And the Lord will turn them away because it's too late. If the Lord were to come today, would you find you as a watcher on the wall? Would he find you ready, earnestly seeking him? Would he find you prepared 
for the long haul with the extra oil. Maybe would he even know you? Does he even have a relationship? It says in Matthew 25, 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. But when he comes, we'll all know. To effectively be prepared for the day of the Lord, we must remain in a state of readiness for his return so we don't have to face God's wrath. I pray and implore you, do not wait to surrender to the Lord. So we don't, if it's not, we don't know God's timing, and we don't know God's timing for us. Are we guaranteed tomorrow? We are not guaranteed tomorrow. So we need to make that decision today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the ability to get to heaven through you. Lord, we thank you that you were strong enough, you were sinless enough to be the way, to be the truth, and to give us life. Lord, you always, always choose life, and you want our life to be one that is full, that is rich. And the only way that can be is if we ask you to come into our lives to fill us up. Lord, as you fill us up, give us an urgency to overflow your spirit into others so that we can love others and love people who cross our path starting with our family. Don't let us miss the adventures we are sending our ways to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus' life, disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you and love people who make disciples, who make more disciples. Ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for your, your kind attention.